Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In this episode, it's part one of our history of the Christmas dinner. We'll be talking about the origins of today's classic Christmas dinner and why did turkey end up on the table? Okay, welcome to another episode of The Dish. Yes, it is The Dish Christmas Special. Ooh, or Christmas Specials. Yes, we thought we would have a bit of a deep dive into the history of the Christmas dinner. Now, I do know Christmas dinners are a little bit different all around the world, so we're specifically looking at the British Christmas dinner because most Western Christmas dinners are actually based off this particular meal. Are they? Mm. So England's got the one up on that, sent it around the world? Yes. Interesting. That is is the way. Although it does have a bit of influences uh, from here and there, pretty much most people agree that the old British dinner is where it all began. So I'm going to do a bit of a dive into Christmas and Christmas food and Christmassy things. Is that all right with you? I think I can handle it. I quite like Christmas dinner, actually. Do you? What's your favourite part of Christmas dinner? Um... Roast potatoes, stuffing wrapped in bacon, roast parsnips, Ah. which are very popular in England. I don't know if they're very popular everywhere else. Maybe we're going to find out. But what I don't love is Christmas pudding. Big fruit, dried fruit mixed up stuff, steamed for days. Or as the old song goes, figgy pudding. Going to have me some figgy pudding. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think you're going to like it anymore but after I tell you the history of that one either. No, no, it was probably made with meat originally or something. Well, we shall <laughs> Leftovers see. Leftovers and junk, that's my, my guess. But uh, yeah, we're going to find out. Yes, yeah, so uh, yes, going all the way back in time. Yes, the month and date of Jesus's actual birth. Of course, Christmas is... Are we saying Jesus invented Christmas dinner? No, we're just saying that it has all come about because of that. I mean, Christmas actually is like, it's this whole... I did look it I've up. I've heard of Christmas before, actually, yeah. Yeah, but it's like... Some it's, listeners will have heard of it. It's, it's you know, the celebration. It's all this Latin Christ, Christ stuff. It's it's all Christ stuff. Well, so <laughs> the name sort of gives it away. <laughs> exactly. Yes, not surprisingly. So it is, of course, we do know, regardless of your religion or whatnot, the 25th of December is generally the day that is celebrated as the date of Jesus's birth. Uh, although the actual month and date of his birth are actually unknown, the church decided early in the fourth century that they would make it the 25th of December. And that's the date that stuck. Yeah. Uh, so whether you have a traditional a tradition of a big feast on Christmas Eve, which I know some people do, or on the actual day of the 25th, one thing is certain is that people have decided to eat themselves stupid. Well, I like to have a big feast on the 25th and the 26th because there's always a lot of leftovers. So Boxing Day Christmas 
reheated roast potatoes, they're normally even better than the original ones. That is true. That is very true. So I tried to have a look back at when Christmas actually started and it seems that it didn't just start off in the fourth century. (laughs) They were like, this is the day we celebrate Jesus, Jesus's birthday, because actually uh, there's no written accounts to say that any celebrations was particularly done on that day. A couple of early Greek Christian writers pretty much were quite against any sort of celebrations of birthdays or parties or anything like that because it was seen as a pagan thing to do. Nobody liked the pagans uh, if you're a Christian. Feasting and festivities is very pagan, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So it looks like uh, any sort of celebrations were very much looked down upon and uh, Christmas was not celebrated in their time. But these are also Greek Christian writers and the fourth century was a long time ago. And people weren't just getting around checking out festivals like we do today. You don't just put on your, you know, put on your festival outfit and go check out, you know, what's going on on the other side of the country and what festivals are going on. So just because there wasn't a Christmas thing going on where they were doesn't mean something similar wasn't happening elsewhere. Yeah, and as I mentioned, they were also a bit like pagans are bad and parties are bad and we don't like that. But uh, the Romans, who well, we- they liked feasting. The Romans have always been up for a bit of a party, and uh, so I will be having a bit of a look at whether or not Christmas did in fact come from a Roman pagan festival called Saturnalia, as in Saturnalia. Saturnalia. Saturnalia is actually a festival that has been around since 217 BC. It is a very, very old pagan festival, and it was a time of feasting, goodwill, generosity to the poor, an exchange of gifts, and the decoration of trees. That sounds somewhat similar to Christmas to me. Ding, ding, ding. It's quite specific, isn't it? Saturnalia actually originated as a farmer's festival, and it was to mark the end of autumn, which is when they did a planting season in honour of Saturn. So, uh, Saturn or Satus, meaning to sow. So, this is where the name all sort of came from, to sow, to plant uh, at the end of autumn. Now, of course, the end of autumn is not Christmas time. And the reason why this changed is that dates became different. The Roman period uh, changed to incorporate and be under the Roman calendar. So, things got changed there. And eventually, the whole festival just kind of got shifted, shifted, shifted until it actually was celebrated on December 25th, which was to celebrate winter solstice. They kind of combined the two. Uh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, otherwise people get two days off work and they're like, well, let's put them both on one day. They don't like that. No one likes that. So, in about 312 AD, the Emperor Constantine was converted to Christianity, of course, and he stopped the Roman persecution of Christians and started to incorporate it more into day-to-day life. Um, And so, this is probably where you're going to start seeing a mix of pagan and Christian celebrations being allowed to happen in Rome. Because I don't think he was, like, really hard. He didn't instantly, like, change and be like, I'm Christian now and all you pagans are bad. It was a sort of slow thing that eventually got incorporated in. He didn't go full Spanish Inquisition on everybody. He did not. He did not. So, yeah, as I mentioned, the actual time and date of year that Jesus was actually born is not mentioned in the Bible. So, they probably think it was actually more springtime because of the shepherds and the sheep getting around outside of the stables and all that. But the earliest known reference to commemorating the birth of Jesus Christ on the 25th of December is actually in a Roman calendar from AD 354. 
Evidence. Evidence. The Romans were good at that. And we know a great way to get people to cross over to Christianity was to incorporate popular pagan festivals into the Christian way of life. And tasty food. And tasty food. So this is why many people speculate that, you know, this date, you know, to actually have it on the 25th and the decision to do this in the 4th century was a very clever move by the church to easily convert pagans to newly formed Christians. Nice. Yes. Uh, And they, you know, did this a lot throughout history, so it does make sense that that would be why the decision was made to have it on the 25th. As you said, you don't want to give them another holiday because they've got work to do. Do work. Yeah, so let's just combine them up. There's already a celebration on that day. It's a pretty good festival. Everyone likes a party. You don't want to get rid of it. So they did keep that. So it's just a theory, uh, but a lot of people do seem to be leaning towards that sort of idea that it came from this particular pagan festival. So yeah, as I said, just said, there's no hard evidence to actually prove that, but the date of the Roman calendar, the mention of it being in the Roman times, it seems like it's a pretty good idea that it came from that. And as people decided to, well, conquer and travel and meet new people in different destinations. Christmas and the idea of Christmas grew from there. And definitely in a lot of different countries, Christmas became very different things, which is why I'm very much sticking to the popular British Christmas. Because definitely if you look in like Germany, Christmas is going to be a very different thing there. And then you go to some of the Nordic countries and Christmas is a very, very different thing there. So I'm going to particularly look at the English Christmas because, uh, well, I like I like what they do. This is I was brought you like up, I guess, roast parsnips and stuff. So. Yeah, I was brought up with a particularly uh, traditional British Christmas. Even though it was in Australia, it's sort of similar-ish. Similar-ish, apart from you have uh, chicken and salad. Yeah, because it's different. Hot. It's hot. <laughs> I feel like that's a very different Christmas dinner from British Christmas dinner. Well, you'll be quite interested in this because though the, Br- the British Christmas dinner that you currently think of took quite a while to actually come into fruition. I'm not that surprised. Yes. So, we're going to fast forward in time a little bit uh, from the fourth century and whatnot, and we're going to find ourselves in the Middle Ages, in the medieval times. Ah, ye medieval times. The medieval ages, where wealthy Europeans used to roast birds and put them on their Christmas table. Can you guess what sort of bird they would have on their Christmas table back in the- I'd assume goose would have been the classic, maybe some- uh Wild guinea fowl or something? In fact, it was actually peacock. Ah, that is a little stranger than I expected. Yeah, so peacock was a pretty popular thing for the uh, for the upper class of that of that time. And the bird was apparently sometimes they would bake it into a pie, but most commonly they would roast it with its head and tail still intact. And then the peacock's feathers would be reattached and its you know tail feathers fully fanned out to create an elegant display. Mm, a macabre, elegant display. A little bit macabre, yeah. Generally, accounts said that it looked really impressive, but peacock tastes like crap and is hard to digest. <laughs> That's not quote word for word. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, most people said it was pretty rubbish, but it looked great on a table. But yeah, you are right. Um, in addition to peacock, you would also get geese 
on the table. You'd get some swans before it became illegal to uh, uh, to uh, yes, eat. Yes, now only the queen can eat swan. Yes. And then, of course, by 1520, another roast bird appeared on the table. Any guesses to what bird that would be? I guess turkey came from the New World. Yes, yeah. it is the turkey that had been introduced to Great Britain, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that one later. All right. Okay, so still in the Middle Ages, if it wasn't a display of a peacock, on a very fancy table, it was often a boar's head that formed the centerpiece of a Christmas Day meal. Mm. Was there also actual boar to eat, or no, it was it's, just it's head? the head? It was the head. Back in the day, it was the height of elegance, and you know, it was just the thing that they had. And there's even an old English Christmas carol dating back to the 15th century that is actually called the Boar's Head Carol. Well, do you want to hear it? We should play a little bit of it. It's so old now. There's going to be no copyright on it because it's stupid old. Let's play a little bit. Oh, public domain music. Always <laughs> the finest of tunes. It's all right. We don't actually have to play it. No, I want you to hear it, though. It's special. The boar's head in hand bear I be decked with bays and rosemary. <laughs> And I pray uh, with Rosemary. There you go. Bit of Latin in there as well. Just yeah, for fun. Uh, yeah. I don't know where they do incorporate they the Latin, a bit of Latin into it. Don't they? Yeah. You know, just to be super fancy, but hymns. yeah, no. Just the old boar's head, maybe with like an apple in its mouth, you know, that traditional sort of and thing. And rosemary. And rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really popular just to have this big old boar's head. Uh, you could also find varied types of fish and seafood that were grilled, fried, roasted, baked, all of the above with a variety of sauces. Also oysters, mushrooms, crabs, lobsters, clams, shellfish, the lot. It was a thing. Um, <laughs> this is obviously food for the wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, All the wealthy people were eating don't this. Don't think the blacksmiths were eating lobster for Christmas. Certainly not. But actually, apparently, in the spirit of Christmas, it was traditional to invite all those who worked on the farms belonging to the rich landowners to come to the main Christmas meal. They, of yeah. course, couldn't eat with the landowners. They ate with the servants. But they were invited to come and have some food with them. I'm sure it was not the lobster. No. They would have the leftover boar's ears, yeah, probably. Yeah, whatever was- Snout. Leftover, but uh, yeah, they actually were uh, invited round for a bit of a meal to be nice. So, this was a popular yearly occurrence up until about the mid-17th century. And we know this because this is when the uh, party pooper Puritans turned up and they ruined all the fun in 1640. Oh. That's, yep. That's not good. Why did they do that? Well- I like to see this as sort of like, do you, were you, when you were younger, did your dad ever tell you that if you didn't behave, then he'd cancel Christmas and tell Santa not to come? I don't know if he ever did, but I could imagine that would be something that fathers would say. <laughs> That's what my dad would say, that for sure. Um, and in England, from the mid-1640 until the 1660s, uh, Christmas was actually banned, cancelled in England, Wales, and Scotland by the Party Pooper Puritans. That's their official name now. That's what didn't, I'm calling um, them. Didn't old Dickens talk about Christmas being cancelled? You know? Well, he was talking about Christmas being cancelled because they were poor and they couldn't afford it. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, well, he I was much further. Tiny Tim was going to have Christmas cancelled because Mr. Scrooge was like, cancel Christmas. Yeah. Or am I just mixing up well, Dickens hundreds is, of stories? Dickens is later. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, he might have got this concept from, uh, oh, from, the from Puritans? that story, perhaps. Very possibly, yeah, because it absolutely did get cancelled. The Puritans thought Christmas was wasteful and that it led to lots of people eating and drinking way too much. Which is kind of true, but, but I mean, also the point. So they obviously missed the point. Completely. They did. They didn't like it. They thought it was a horrible thing. And so the party pooper Puritans passed laws. Yeah, they absolutely turned December twenty fifth into a day of fasting. Oh, I know, rotten. And they ordered markets and shops to stay open on the t- on the twenty fifth, so that it wasn't a holiday, because uh, Christmas or the twenty fifth, of course, doesn't always fall like. Very rarely falls on a Sunday. Yeah. And Sunday was the day of rest and the day that you should go and worship in the house of the Lord. Yeah, so- but there's no parsnips in the house of the Lord. No. I wanted roast parsnips. So, like, please give me Christmas. Apparently, they even penalized people that went to church services on a day that wasn't Sunday. Like, if they went on the 25th of December, they penalized them, which I thought- For was- too much praying. I, I know, but they were meant to be at home fasting and, and actually thinking back on, you know. Can't you do that in church? That seems I don't know. very mean. And even there's accounts of soldiers being posted on the streets and confiscating any food that they thought looked Christmassy. <laughs> Just any food they thought looked Christmassy. Mm-hmm. But of course, these soldiers are probably pretty hungry. So they're like, all food looks Christmassy. And we're confiscating all food because we're allowed to. Yeah. And we're going to eat it. So it's actually a popular misconception that Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas. I don't know if you'd ever heard that. I haven't the- heard that. Ah, a couple but- of people think that it was Cromwell that actually banned it, but the laws were in place before he ever came to power. Uh, but he was like, sure, fine. I'm, I'm cool with that because he was a party pooper too. Oh, party pooper, head cutter offer, mm-hmm. statue smasher. Yeah, he, he did lots of naughty things. He really did. And I can tell you what, the Brits weren't happy. And plenty of people protested. There were pro-Christmas riots that broke out in several cities. I'm guessing it would be kind of similar to what we actually see on Boxing Day today. You know, Riots? Right. When people go into the Boxing Day sales, like, oh. <laughs> causing carnage everywhere. But apparently, particular Canterbury was one of the big ones and was controlled by rioters for weeks who decorated doorways. Take that, party pooper yeah. Puritans. Decorations. Decorations. This'll teach you. With the holly, and they shouted royalist slogans in the streets. <sighs> Those royalists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Cromwell... Did a bunch of bad stuff, but also he sort of made democracy more of a thing. So, you know, less power to the king, that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, he did good and bad stuff. Can't, yeah. can't give him a fully bad rap, but, you know, being part of the, the anti-Christmas movement is just, that's a very miserly no, thing to do anyway. solid booze for that. Yeah, yeah. Solid boo, booze. Boo, 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 boo. Uh, of course, if you know your British history, which most of you probably don't, so I'm going to tell you. King Charles was restored to the throne in 1660, and all the laws that were made by the party paper Puritans <laughs> were thrown out, and Christmas was celebrated again in England. Wonderful. This is where we actually have the first ever written account of a Christmas menu. So, actual written Christmas menu, and I can tell you, as soon as the Puritans were out, things went straight to being super extravagant for the rich people. They did not waste any time. So, The Accomplished Cook, which was written by Robert May in 1660, is the earliest known published Christmas menu, and it includes pork, beef, goose, lark, 
pheasant, venison, swan, woodcock, and a kid with a pudding in its belly. Obviously, I'm talking about a goat. Yes. <laughs> they yes. didn't just go to eating children. <laughs> Eat the Puritans' children. We'll show them. Mm, lark, because uh, lark is a well-known delicious food, surely. What is lark? It's a wild bird, I uh, think. All oh, the ones that, that make... They make annoying noises. Like, lark, lark! On the common... On the common in London, they'll be making annoying noises or something at 6 a.m. Yes. Or- uh, so that was actually just a few dishes that were named. In fact, May suggests that 39 dishes be served, split over two courses. And there was also, of course, your oysters, oranges, lemons, and jellies, because jellies have become very popular in all these very grand molds. Like you, it, It's something I actually envision more of like uh, Marie Antoinette in France with a big molded jellies in these extravagant designs but this is what they i'm sure it probably came from france you mean jelly as in american jello or jelly as in like the little sweet candies that are soft no like big yeah like jello sort of yeah big wobbly things yes exactly big wobbly things. christmas jelly who knew but yeah so then it went crazy and they were like yes extravagance and this big Meal by Robert May in 1660, and then it sort of died down again. And they went, This is too much, too much, too much. Too much. This is insane. We just, just, we had no Christmas, now we've got too much Christmas, I, no, too much. <laughs> and yeah, I read that in, in some accounts they were saying in the beginning of the 19th century, Christmas was hardly celebrated at all. Uh, many businesses didn't even consider it a holiday, there was a lot of things like that but i don't know it it seems like it it's sort of i think it was still very much done within the family homes and stuff like that maybe but it wasn't like such a on the street celebration as what we have today so they didn't turn the christmas lights on and we might not have turned the christmas probably lights didn't on have no. any christmas lights at that point probably didn't have any electricity well, at that point turn on the christmas lanterns christmas candles uh things were about to change because we're actually hitting uh the time period where Christmas as we know it today really did come about. So we're looking at the time of Queen Victoria, and she married the German-born Prince Albert. Yes. And the prince brought about some of his most cherished aspects of a German Christmas, and the two got incorporated together, and there's an article from the Illustrated London News, which was published in 1848. And there's a published drawing of the royal family celebrating around a decorated Christmas tree, uh, which was apparently reminiscent of Prince Albert's childhood in Germany. So I don't know if the trees were actually such a popular thing in England. The feasting was, but I don't know if trees were- No, I don't think they were. I seem to remember hearing this history before that the trees were very much uh, brought in by the Germans in the Victorian times. So, yeah. Uh, you know, bringing a piece of foliage into the house was a, a new trend. And decorating apparently. it, of course. Yes. Yeah, so once they saw the, the king and queen had that in their home, of course, oh, everybody else had to have it in their home as well. Of course. Yeah, so then uh, we started to see trees decked with candles, sweets, fruits, homemade decorations, small gifts. And we all know that hanging candles on wood trees it's was always a good idea. very safe. Always no a good idea. No one ever died because of Christmas trees burning down. Certainly not. But no, they always uh, they all wanted to be as cool as uh, Queen Vicky and uh, oh, yes. and Prince Al. So yeah, uh, they Vicky all and Al. Vicky and Al. Yeah, the royal family. Uh, it is, of course, around this time that we have the release of Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol, which is very much credited with helping to popularize and spread the traditions 
of this season and, and incorporating all those things that we know. So his book brought back the themes of family, charity, goodwill, peace and happiness, and this all became the strong part of the Christmas spirit. And, you know, his story of Christmas is told still today. So currently uh, we're saying that Christmas is really based on a fictional book <laughs> that someone just went, I like these ones. It's so not, the, the is. tradition is not really religious at that point at all. And it's more just a bunch of things that Dickens went, I like these ones. Well, I mean. There's some elements that he picked out of religious history and stuff that were added, but yeah. I mean, it's all about. Yeah, I think it's very much incorporated in the Christian way of things of charity and goodwill and and love, you know, for one another at this time of year. And Jesus didn't have a Christmas tree. This is what we're saying. He didn't. Jesus didn't. No. So it's definitely something that everybody could be part of now. It wasn't just like the super rich people. I think in Dickens' time, it was definitely introduced that all people could. You know, it became more of a holiday and people could celebrate this and it was a time for family and and not just for servants to be serving the rich people, their, you know, extravagant meals and whatnot. Uh, So, as you've probably noticed, the older Christmas feasts don't bear much resemblance to what we find on our plates today. Well, there was no roast potatoes in the Middle Ages. No, exactly. You're right. So, many of the dishes that we have today uh, just didn't simply exist in England in the time of yesteryear. So, turkey, as I mentioned before, was introduced in the 1520s from Mexico. Uh, and it's actually thought that the first British king to eat a turkey was King Henry VIII. Yeah, of course. He's like, oh, yep, I'll have that. Thank you. Yeah, a lot. I mean, he'd eat anything. He's he a would. Big, big boy. <laughs> he really would. Do you actually know where turkeys get their name from? Uh, obviously not the country of Turkey. It is, in fact. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> Most people seem to agree that the fact that they were imported into Europe by Turkey merchants, the Spanish did pick them up, but it usually came along the Silk Road via Turkey, and they were therefore nicknamed Turkey Cocks. What? So, like, it came to, like, East Asia from Mexico and then came along the Silk Road? Well, there's some people saying that it came from that direction. Some people are saying, yes, they did actually take them into Spain and they would herd turkeys up, like, up in. I don't know, it's like up along through Spain and stuff like that. And it was usually like it was these Turkish merchants that were selling them, which is why they got the name. That's very strange. It is really weird. There's, but also not a lot of, not all countries call them Turkey. There's a few countries that have reference to India, in fact. Yeah, the name was apparently connected with India because Christopher Columbus was looking for India when he found the Americas. And so when these birds came from the Americas, an Indian name was connected with them. So you've got like French, uh, the French version, Russian, Polish. They actually mean like Indian bird, not turkey. Yeah. All right. It's a very confusing word and a very confusing. Like, I think most people call them turkeys today, but like back in the day, yeah, it was more related to India and the fact that Christopher Columbus thought he was in India or hitting up the Indias. It's, it's all a bit confusing and a bit weird. Check out what the, check out what the French word is. I think it's like Vinda or something like. Yeah, V-I-N-V, Indy. Yeah. Yeah. Dinde. Sorry, not Vinde. Dinde. But yeah, D-Indy, I guess. Of, yeah, D-Indy. Of India. Of India. Exactly. <laughs> That's really crazy. And apparently even in Turkey, they're called Hindi, which it just means Indian. <laughs> crazy. 
But yeah, there was some connection. For, so for the British, yeah, there was some connection with the uh, Turkish merchants that were actually bringing them in, even though it was, yes, of course, the Spanish that did discover them in Mexico. Which is very weird, isn't it? Apparently. If it's to um, be believed, if then it should be, be strange. Yes. Of course, it is a super popular dish today in the United States. And I think some people would probably fight you to tell you that it originated there. Like the whole roast turkey is theirs. They, they've, you know, it, of course, does come from North America. But uh, there's no actual evidence stating that any sort of roast turkeys were being made. Not roasting so much, I don't believe. There is archaeological evidence. They've got archaeological dig- digs that indicate there was very early domestication of turkeys by the Native Americans for food, but bones don't actually show how they were cooked in any way. And so if you think of the way that turkeys are uh, made in like Mexican, like, like they'll usually put them in tamales and stuff like that. So it's not the whole roast bird. It's, this- no, it's just they use the meat and make stuff with it. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Also, in the early days of the arrival of the pilgrims in the United States, celebrating Christmas was considered a British custom and very much fell out of out of style, especially even until like when the American Revolution went down and all that happened. Yeah, it was seen as British. And so they were like, nope, we're not going to be celebrating that British Christmas tradition. And, and of course, they were, you know, quite uh, religious in their ways as well. Like, so they were very particular in the ways that they, I think they were more on the side of the Puritans. Um, Yeah. So it actually wasn't until 1870 that Christmas became a federal holiday in the United States and roast turkey was back on the table. There you go. Yeah. So it very much fell out of style for quite a bit. Turkey, of course, has come in and out of fashion. At first it was seen as very cool, you know, because it was this new bird, but then it, turned out that it was actually quite an expensive thing because there was no turkey farms, of course, in North America and the way that they collected them and and to get them all the way over to England. So turkey was actually quite a really expensive bird for quite a while and therefore it didn't become really popular on Christmas tables uh, for for a little bit until actually the arrival of railways to transport them easier across country and also a combination of, yeah, increased production through turkey farms when they're actually sort of getting a little bit more organized with that and then, of course, eventually refrigeration made uh, the cost of turkeys come way, way down. They're, of course, a bigger bird than you'll get with geese or ducks or chickens or anything Peacocks. <laughs> they taste better than peacocks. They taste better than peacocks. And this is where turkey actually started to take over as the leading bird on the Christmas table. When the price went down, it was easier to get. More families were like, well, these birds go further for yeah. my dollar, so we're going to start using turkeys more. You, of course, mentioned the roast potatoes. Yes, I'm a fan. Yeah, so they, of course, didn't uh, reach Christmas. I mean, I don't care if they're at Christmas. I'll have them all the time. (laughs) But they they certainly didn't arrive into England until about 1584. So there was many, many years that they weren't involved in the Christmas dinner. But I don't think you could have a Christmas dinner today without it. I would feel very sad with that one. I I mean, I know for some reason some people like mash. And I get like with Thanksgiving, apparently that's a thing. But with Christmas dinner, I can't possibly abide the idea that mash is the only potato on the table <laughs> that's wrong it has to be roast potatoes because you're roasting the bird which is what i also don't understand you're roasting turkey at thanksgiving why are you not roasting potatoes <laughs> i don't know that's something you have to bring up with our with our other friends that love the mash i don't understand it i i support you and your potatoes but uh yeah 1584 they were introduced and then uh, of course 
If you wanted to have any sort of cranberry sauce, once again, that is also from the Americas. Yeah. And that came over, well, actually, the first comment of a cranberry type sauce was about 1663, where there were comments made about a sweet sauce made of boiled cranberries that accompanied meat. Yeah. So it's likely that the pilgrims actually took their knowledge of sauce making from their English history and yeah. uh, put the cranberries to delicious use and eventually it then it made its way back to England. Well, using tart fruits that are then sweetened slightly and then with meat, that's just classic European cooking. It's been around for a very long time. Yeah, but apparently the cranberries were a bit out of style for a bit because they didn't look appetizing to the to the British. They mm. they found it to be like I think it looked similar to some other fruit that they knew tasted like crap yeah. or something. And so they were a bit out of fashion and then someone tried to you know, actually turn it into a sauce and do the proper thing. And they were like, oh, actually, that's quite good. Oh, yeah, it's very good. And we like our cranberry sauce. Yes. I mean, I didn't know. I figured that maybe cranberry sauce was a very modern addition to the table, but apparently not. It is, uh, as soon as they knew about cranberries, they were getting them back to England and turned them into sauce. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's just assumed that it made its way back in such a fashion, but there was, as I said, mention of it in 1663 of a, of a sweet sauce that yeah. they made with these boiled cranberries. So... Yeah, quite a while that that one's been around. Okay, so that was the history of how Christmas dinner came to be and how we have our modern Christmas dinner. Had a little bit of chat about turkey and roast potatoes and cranberry sauce. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's loads more things on the table that people eat at Christmas, right? Yes, so we've broken this up into a two-part, more manageable bite-sized episodes. So we're going to continue on in the next episode about a few more classic dishes that have been around for quite Quite a bit longer than you might realise. Yeah, there's some tasty things coming up like mince pies and the abominable Brussels sprouts. Ooh. <laughs> Why? People love them, Tom. People I, love them. I don't think they do. I think everyone is liars. They're <laughs> all liars. They all pretend to like them when I'm around and actually no one eats them. They're just trying to punish me for some reason. I, it's, they're going through a lot to eat them just to punish me psychologically. It's all about you. It's, it's, it's all, is, this the, is this the Truman Show? Are you like, it's the Tom Show? In my I, universe, it's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> of course. What, what am I supposed to do about that? I, I'm not inside anyone else's head. I don't have magic <laughs> powers. So this is what I got going on. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks or immediately, depending on when you're listening, to talk about some other very popular dishes that you'll find on the Christmas table in England, especially, but also maybe a few other little bits and pieces from around the world. And yeah, so remember, rate and review. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a five star review. Five stars, the best amount of stars. It's Christmas. Come on. Be nice. Be generous at Christmas. Yeah. Give us five star review and a, and a nice uh, nice little happy. Yeah, love them. Exactly. I like food. I like Megzi and Tomo. There you go. Five That's stars. Your best gift to us is a five star review. Or you can send us a million dollars. That would be even better. You must choose yeah. one or the other. <laughs> Which one's it going to be, guys? If you don't leave a five-star review, you've got to send us a million dollars. Come on. All right. So, yeah, that's it from us. Uh, also, as well as subscribing, remember, just, you know, let some friends know. This is the best way to help us get the show rolling and get more people listening is to get the word out there. And if you know any foodie friends and you like the show, then recommend us to someone else. Just do it. All right. Happy Christmas. The next episode is coming out just after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year, I believe. So listen to us then. 
Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time. King of Please, which one this day to be served in?